We running this, let's go. I'm on a boat, I'm on a boat. Everybody look at me, cause I'm sailing on a boat. I'm on a boat. All right, greetings everybody. This is Salt Ships and Scuttlebutt, a World of Warships podcast. We are on episode 38 this week, and we've actually gone back to doing um, weekly recordings. We're not going to keep skipping weeks and stuff. Anyway, today I am joined by another stand-in. Unfortunately, Griefer got absolutely blasted after his birthday stream yesterday, and I think he had like three pies thrown in his face. So Griefer's just kind of out of it. But uh, to stand in, I brought Optics along. Hey Optics, how you doing? Hello. Just for the record, I think it's Griefer's really just trying to still wipe off all the clown makeup. We made so many, so many emotes on the Bonk server of his face covered in, I think it was foundation. I don't know, but it's great. He looks like a sad clown. (laughs) But, so, we also actually have another guest joining us today. A a very prominent member of the World of Warships community. Uh, I've heard of him a few times. I think Optics might have heard of him once or twice. Yeah, Uh, once or twice. Mr. Gaishu, I don't know how to pronounce the second part of your name. How are you doing? (laughs) That's quite fine. I'm doing good. Thank you. Well, th- I'd like to, you know, start off by thanking you uh, for taking time out of your day. I know you're recently back from Prague, or was it Prague? I think it was Prague. Yep, you offices in Prague. Well, that's nice. But I, I know international travel can be draining, but I'm very happy that you're here. And I hope you had a good time. I did. It was wonderful. I will say uh, it was nice to be there for a longer period of time than when I was in there in August, because traveling 18 hours to be there for like three days is shit. Yeah, that's that sucks. Um, yeah, it was it was better this time. How long were you out there? A week? Uh, about a week and a half. Ah, yeah. Yeah, two weekends. I've I've actually done the transatlantic hop a few times, and the the first time it was for two weeks, and even that felt a little short. Yeah, you're basically losing two days to, yeah. to travel. But then the second time, uh, I got stuck there for six weeks. So you know that that was that was marvelous. Six weeks in Europe. Yep. Six weeks in Germany. Um, I had a, uh, one of my friends actually works out there, and uh, his wife uh, had a medical emergency. So I went out to, to watch the kids and everything. So, yeah, so, it, you know, it wasn't backpacking across Europe. I wasn't out uh, having promiscuous events with local women. I was sitting at a park bench listening to music and eating kebabs every day. Oh, every my God. Day. Were you around for that? Because I all I did on the Bonks Discord was talk about how good the, yep. the freaking Donner kebabs were. Holy shit. Have you ever had a Donner kebab guy shoe? I'm very you sorry. Know, we, in, we... In, in Prague, I actually had kebab like every other day. It's <laughs> so good. They, they were also like the only places that open at like 4 a.m. So I'd just go out and get a kebab. They knew what my... is it with these Northeasterners going over to Europe and eating nothing but kebab the entire time they're there? Uh, I had beer too, <laughs> and they knew me by my name. I walked in, they knew like three words of English, and one of them was my first name. <laughs> That's the way it should be. Oh, yeah. No, they were, it, was, it was great. But I'm sidetracking here, because this is actually a World of Warships podcast. What? No way. I know. We, we usually talked about food. Uh, when Drakinefeld was on, he talked about getting hit by uh, children with swords. But this is actually a, a World of Warships podcast. Um, 
So we always do a little bit of a deep dive into our guests here. And by deep dive, I mean, I think we have like two freaking questions we ask. But I'm going to call it a deep dive because I've been playing a lot of deep rock recently. So uh, Optics, game, it, by the way. Yo, great game. $9 right now on Steam. Highly recommended. Free, gets... free to play for the weekend. Oh, my goodness. Try it out. Is this a deep rock podcast now? It can be. <laughs> I got it like last year. I think I played maybe a month of it. Oh, the the new season just dropped. It's it's very good fun. Um, please come over sometime and, and you can play. I can roll you if you want to get things for it. Or you can just do what everybody else does and mute it and not get the pings. But, Optics, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I know you're from the U.S. and I know you're from the great state of Texas. Well, the, the second... State yeah, second best state. That's okay. Uh... Is it too late to disagree with this whole hosting the podcast with you, or, or no? No, you know, your contract. I, I own you for the next hour, hour and a half. Unfortunate. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, I'm from the Houston area. Uh, I've been playing Warships for, let's see, about two years now? A little bit over two years. I started uh, during quarantine, actually. You're like a little baby, baby Warships player. Yeah. A little baby boy. Is there anything unique in the Houston area? I don't think I've ever been. Like, in terms of, of, of culture or cuisine, because I'm a fat ass, so. So, actually, actually, yes. So, when people think of Houston, they don't really think of, like, the super diverse city or anything like that. But Houston actually has the biggest selection of different types of cuisine in the entire country. Uh, you would think that would go to somewhere like New York or something, but it's actually Houston. Um any restaurant or type of food that you can think of, you can find a place for it in, in Houston. Ethiopian, South African, anything. It's uh, it's like a really actual cultural city when you get down to it. But everybody just sees the traffic and you know NASA, and that's kind of it. Yeah, I was, was going to be a hundred percent honest. The first thing that came to my mind when when you brought up Houston was Houston we have a problem in, in traffic so yeah it's nice to know there's many other things I mean when I went to I think it was San Antonio is that where the Alamo is yes yes I went to San Antonio and I did the river walk I didn't even know that existed that was fun um walking around in a little kind of river underneath the city drinking tequila at 11 a.m that was nice um Mr. Geishu Geishu Yes. I also uh, know that you're from the Texas area. Uh, you're, cl I, if I remember correctly, you're close to the offices though. So I think you're near Austin. Yeah. Yep. So offices are in Austin. So I moved here about, I guess a month and a half ago now, almost two months. I don't believe it's been that long. But yep, I I lived basically all my life in Rhode Island. So making the switch from cold northeast weather to hot Austin weather has been a little bit difficult. You missed the, the actual hot part of the summer, Yeah, too. I think, like, the, the week and a half, the first week and a half I was here was brutal, and then it was actually pretty nice now. What, um, what part of Rhode Island were you from, if you didn't mind me asking? Uh, if you know the places, I grew up in Warwick and moved to Providence for, like, the last four years or so that I was there. I got kicked out of bars in both of those towns. Beautiful. Yep. So, there we go. That's, that's actually very interesting, because uh, podcast viewers and... and People who hear me grandstand myself know I'm from Boston, so so it's always weird when you. When it was funny uh, being in Prague and having people ask like, "Whoa, where are you from in the U.S.?" and I'd be like, "Rhode Island." And they're like, "What's that?" 
Like it's near Boston. Yeah, that's that's I. Oh yeah, yeah, Boston. I know Boston. I, I, they kept asking what state I was from. I'd say Massachusetts. They didn't know. I'm like, oh, Boston. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we know Boston. We know Boston. We know Boston. It's, it's, it's very funny uh, how those uh, international interactions can go. Actually, like last time I was in in Europe, it was kind of a similar thing. People would ask me where I'm from, and it's like, I'd say the U.S., and then be like, yo, we're we're from the U.S. But then I kind of didn't know like. It could go either way, like whether I say Houston or I say Texas, but like more people knew Texas than Houston. Mm. Well, I think that's just because Massachusetts is maybe three inches long. Yeah, so, you I know, think people, a lot of the a lot of the northeast states in particular are just so small that if, most people just don't know them. Yeah, if it's not New York or Maine, it doesn't exist because everything else is the, the size of a postcard. The what area of Rhode Island question was kind of funny to me because Rhode Island is basically the size of the greater Houston area. So yeah, people it, it's Rhode Island just an area. The There's no sub areas there. <laughs> there are sub areas. You shut up. North Northeast uh, has culture. Optics, calm down, calm down. So I mean, other than the heat, how are you liking Texas now in the month that you've been here? You know, it's not too bad. I was I was worried when I got here that the seafood would suck, but it's actually not too bad. Uh, so that's been nice, and there's actually quite a quite a diversity of food even in Austin. Um, what of different kinds what of type of seafood are we talking? Like fish or like? Uh, like sushi. Okay, okay. That's fair, because I I uh, me being a fat New Englander who used to work on a lobster boat, seafood to me just meant like cod and shit and lobsters. So yeah, I've, honestly, this is like criminal for being from Rhode Island, but I've never really liked lobster to be honest. No, that's fair. I, I honestly prefer my meat with feet, so I don't, I don't eat, like, cod or anything, <laughs> or clams. So, you know, I, I totally understand that. I'll, I'll, I'll die on that hill with you. Thank but you I, I, do, I do like lobster and crab, but uh, all, all the swimming fish I, I'm not a big fan of. I'd say if you have, like, a really tight definition of seafood, you might not find what you like in Texas, but if you're willing to open it up to, like, Louisiana Cajun seafood that type of stuff like you you got a pretty good selection in Texas. Oh yeah, I'd be I I I'd be more than happy to try that stuff when I was down there cuz the the same friend who I visited in Europe actually before he moved to Germany, he actually worked in that San Antonio area. So I I've, I've I've had a lot of the that kind of southern food and stuff. I also have family in Florida, so we always go down there and I actually, this is going to sound weird, and it's going to sound like it's a it's a terrible story. But the best food I ever had was actually gator jerky out of the back of some dude's like oh four Honda Civic on the side of the highway in Florida. Gator. Oh, what what yeah. does gator really taste like? Because all you hear is that it tastes like chicken. chicken it, it actually does taste. It, like chicken. Yeah, it tastes like chicken. No, no way, man. <laughs> no, it does. Like, look, look at it this way. Go pull up a picture of raw raw chicken and pull up a picture of raw alligator. It's the same sort of texture and doesn't have a really strong flavor it's kind of weird because the the stuff that kind of just exists in bodies of water and eats whatever gets down to the bottom actually end up usually tasting the best out of all the stuff in the in the body of water in my opinion like lobsters they're just nature's roomba that's all they are they they eat the, dead shit for all filters down for, for yeah. me it's oysters it's oysters mm. Oyster. I'm, I'm not a big fan of shellfish. You're not, not an oyster fan? No, the sir. The thing is, like, most people I know that hate oysters hate them because of the texture. And I, I agree, the, the texture is nasty. That's why you just, they go down as quick as possible and they taste good. You know? I think the only time I, I had 
oysters and enjoyed it is I, I was maybe about six beers deep and I just started tossing them back like they were shots. And I was like, ah, these are good. And then I ordered <laughs> yeah, that's, them. That's the way you do it. You just drink the brine and the oyster and it all goes down all at once. Yep. Awesome. And then a few days later, I ordered oysters and I had one and I was like, why the fuck have I ever eaten this? This is terrible. I don't like this. <laughs> what the fuck? I need Man. beers in my system to enjoy this. But oh, well. I, I actually, you, you mentioned sushi. Just This is the last food-related thing. I swear, I, I, I'm not just, this isn't a food podcast. Um, but sushi is actually another thing that I, I never really enjoyed, which is weird because I love all of the components of sushi. Except, you know, kind of the raw fish. So, I don't know. Just something never really tickled my, my fancy. Well, I mean, if you don't like raw fish, then it makes yeah. sense. Well, yeah, but I... I you I, know, some sushi places have started deep frying their sushi, so that might be more up your alley. <laughs> is that a fat joke, or is that a genuine I, I have, recommendation? Well, no, it's a barbarian that. joke. God bless. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, No, I'll, I'll actually have to look into that. I think there's a sushi place near me here at school, but it's also like... An hour inland, so I don't trust the fish. But, again, that's just because I'm used to getting all this stuff fresh off the pier. Anyway, this is a World of Warships podcast, I must reiterate. And we're going to circle back to World of Warships. So yeah, I was trying to put it off. I know, I know, I know. So, gentlemen, this week we had the Battle Pass release into World of Warships. What's our initial impressions here? I, I, for me, I am a poor, I am but a poor college student, so I will not be buying the, the enhanced battle pass. And for me, it's just the normal kind of mission chain type deal. You know, you do your, do your dailies, you get a little bit of rewards, stuff like that. So I'm not, I'm not really like opposed to it. I'm not really hating it right now. What, what about you two? Well, since I'm the wargaming employee here, maybe let Optics go first and I can then give my thoughts. Sure. Well, yeah, I so thought I thought my, that was implied. Like I said at the beginning, I'm not uh, going to try and get you fired. <laughs> my general impression with the with the battle pass is it's not weird to me to see a battle pass introduced because basically every other game has it, and I believe World of Tanks also has a battle pass. Yeah. Uh, so I feel like it's a natural direction to take it. However, I do feel like there was a lot of missed opportunity with the battle pass. Um, I feel like what other games give you with their battle pass, uh, with the with the paid portion of the battle pass rather, is a little bit more than what you're getting here. Um, but I think the biggest opportunity that they missed out on was the way that they were doing the enhanced battle pass, or rather, not not the enhanced battle pass. So what's the the bonuses one called? Yeah, season bonuses. Pre- premium pass and season bonuses. That one. Um, the one that I would have been happy to pay for uh, is if that one gave you like free commander resk- uh, resets and reskills, because that would be so useful during like clan battles. I think in a clan battle season, I end up respecting maybe three captains five different times each or something along those lines. So that would, for me personally, like that that would be super worth it during a clan battle season. And now that we're having clan battle seasons, you know, every week, like two week breaks in between clan battle seasons, like. I would probably be paying a lot for this. I can definitely see the upsides with that. And, I mean, they do include a little bit of a commander retraining boon there. But it's it's for doubloons. So, you know, yeah. it's, it's, that's the money. But um, I, I still think that the bonuses themselves are, are very good. If if I were to, to pay for 
uh, a set of kind of boons or, or upgrades to kind of get in World of Warships. This is kind of it because it gives you more coal, steel, and research points. Great. Plus 2% doubloons. I don't know what that means. I don't know if that's on purchases. I don't know any of that. But 2%, you know, getting 2% more of that premium currency can be nice. The commander retraining is something that we just kind of brought up, how nice that is. And demounting upgrades free of charge. I think that those are all great things. I just, I don't know if it's worth 6,250 doubloons. Yeah, that, so. That's kind of the thing for me. If that, if those same numbers were included in the premium battle pass, which is the 2,500 doubloon one, which works out to about 10 USD, I believe. Um, yeah. like that, that would be pretty in line with what I would expect. Um, but for $25 a month or per battle pass, I, I kind of want the, the free commander respects. I think that it'd be good, if, and again, this is just my personal opinion, uh, I think that it'd be good if there's a little bit of like a meeting in the middle of the two prices. So maybe, you know, because 2,500 doubloons is what, 10 bucks? Yep, about $10. Yeah, so maybe if in, in you know, we meet in between the 10 and the 25 and do like a 17 or an $18 kind of price tag for the monthly thing, or the every... You know, every battle pass. I think that could be manageable. Some some sort of middle ground. Because, again, these bonuses are very, 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 very nice. Um, but, again, behind the, the added cost. And, actually, this is something I haven't really found out. But if, if I buy the premium pass and the season bonuses, that gives me... It's not like stacking 2,500 doubloons on top of the 6,250, right? No, it's not. Yeah, You'll, okay. Yeah. You got the it's premium pass plus season bonuses. Okay, I just wanted to, so, I just wanted to confirm that because I actually had a few people, a few podcast listeners DM me and ask me about that. And yeah, I, so, so to clarify, the the premium pass is twenty five hundred, which is ten dollars. Um, so that portion of the premium pass and season bonuses would be the t- the ten dollars or twenty five hundred doubloons, and then the rest of it, the additional fifteen dollars is what you're paying to get the. The bonuses like the coal steel and research yeah, the, points, the, the commander bonuses. retraining. So overall, the way I look at it is really like the whole point of a battle pass is to have people play the game more, right? Yeah. Um, play play the game to progress through the levels. It's like an incentive for you to look at the thing and be like, okay, I need to play this much to get the next level. Um, there were a bunch of people complaining about the free one, which I don't personally get because it's it's essentially the same as the old daily system, but moved into a battle pass format and. Some of the rewards shifted around a bit, but ultimately I think they're actually a little bit more valuable. Yeah, going through here, I mean, like level 42, 12 signal containers, 5 rare bonuses containers, 5,000 coal, yeah, 500 research hero points. Out of the free battle pass rewards, you got 1,500 steel, 15,000 coal, and 1,500 research points. Yeah, that's not too shabby. So it's somewhat similar to what you got out of the old daily system, but with the old daily system, if you didn't complete literally every single daily mission in the 30 days, you didn't get the steal. So this is a little bit more flexible with how you can get it. Yeah, I have no problem with a free one. I think that's... Uh, yeah. Um, the the two main ones, I, I personally like the $10 one, since you get tier 7 premium out of it for this month, plus a lot of really good economic stuff. Um, I mean, I, I kind of have to agree that I think the third tier isn't that great for the price unless you play a lot and you do a lot of commander respecting um because you're paying a little bit under four thousand extra doubloons i believe for yeah it's like three three seven so something that, that, that's really geared towards people who play the game 
a lot and will really be making use of the extra discounts essentially or do you really want like the extra steel or something if you don't get a lot of steel normally like yeah the the that's another thing that i actually really kind of like about the premium pass and i don't understand why a lot of people are complaining about the price because again for that ten dollars worth of doubloons you're getting more coal more research bureau points more free xp pretty much more everything and stacked on top of it and if you progress through the missions which I can only play on the weekends, and I'm already at level 11. So, you know, progression isn't the hardest thing in the world. Um, you, you get the tier 7 uh, ship down at the end of it. You know, I think that that is not bad for $10 uh, and, and playtime. Really, the, the premium ship is worth it alone if you're already playing the game enough to max out and get it. Um, extra economic stuff is super good on top. Um, but really, I think the best thing is you can just wait until the end of the month when the battle pass is about to expire and buy it then if you think you played enough to, for it to be worth it. Yeah. Like, there, there's no reason you have to buy the premium battle pass at the start of the month and then feel pressure to grind everything. You can just get it at the end. Yeah, that's that's good as well. Because, I mean, it, it, it's constantly reminding me throughout here every time I open it that, hey, if you buy the premium pass, all of this stuff will also unlock for you as well and you'll be credited with it so i think that that's actually a very smart way to look at it and go about the battle pass um you know just wait until the end see how far you progress if you get close enough for the ship you can buy it and then get the ship relatively easily so i think that's a very smart way of going about it um if i can ask just to, just kind of quickly here uh, you said people were complaining about the free one was it just the whole oh they think that rewards are getting removed or was there any other avenues on that well we had the we had the thing at the uh on the pts where people were seeing not final numbers and got mad about that um, oh yeah and, and also people i think really associate battle pass with like crappy monetization practices um, so it's kind of loaded already yeah that's and i think i think really the main thing people are missing is uh, I think there's less credits under the new system with the free battle pass, but I mean, there's a bunch of other stuff in there that are essentially worth credits. Yeah. The, I kind of thought the the same type of thing, that Wargaming introducing a battle pass. Obviously, you know, I, I, I had questions at the beginning, but that's kind of the first place that my mind went to is um, how the community is going to receive it because you have a lot of games with very, 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 very predatory monetizations. Uh, in terms of their battle pass, exactly like what you said. And then whenever people hear battle pass, people typically tend to think, or whenever people hear anything, they tend to think of like the worst form of it in, in a lot of the gaming communities. For instance, again, I'll circle back to Deep Rock because it's a game I've played the shit out of recently. Um, when they announced... Uh, sorry about that. I had somebody come in. Uh, dorm room life. We love to see it. Um, but when they announced that a battle pass would be coming to Deep Rock, a lot of people were very, very, very up in arms about it because they, they thought that it would be, uh, they'd be getting gypped. They thought it'd be an, an avenue for aggressive monetization. But you do have varieties on the whole battle pass format. Um, and that's something I, I really kind of feel the need to re, re to kind of stress here. And like, obviously, disclaimer since like, I work for the company, but um, again, like it's really geared towards getting people to play the game. So I think the what you get for paying for it is actually really, really generous. Yeah. No, in I'm in terms of value for your money. To play the game. 
I'm in agreement definitely for that premium pass. Again, a, a, a tier 7 at the end of it. Uh, the All the coal, all the steel, all the RB. It's very nice for $10 and playing the game. Yeah, I mean, like you said, the tier 7 alone is typically worth it if you just look at it, how, how much a typical tier 7 in the armory is, which is what about just under 10,000 doubloons, I think? Like I, I think a tier 7 only runs around 25 or $30 worth of doubloons. Um, I'm like, like I said, the, this is the first iteration of the battle pass. My bottom line hope, I guess, is that they sort of look at the feedback from the community and kind of go from there. Maybe I mean, if if the overall idea that the third version, like the bonuses one, the twenty five dollar one, is worth it for most people in the community, by all means, like continue to do that. But if they they see the feedback is not great there maybe you know tweak that a little bit whether it's tweaking the price or what you get for it yeah of course i mean like like personal opinion i probably would not buy the third tier myself just because i don't retrain captains enough to actually get the dublin value out of it well something that i've I brought up uh kind of about that recently in, in regards to the bonuses offered by the third um uh, tier of the battle pass i think that they're really good rewards if you're just starting off if you're a relatively new player at the game. That's true, actually. And I think the, the free demounts is big. Um, oh, like yeah. If you're, moving, if you're moving up to tiers and you want to actually put equipment on ship, you can't be, like, selling them and be buying them all the time or you will not have credits to buy anything. So the free demounts is probably worth it for somebody who's grinding a line and is really strapped on credits. Yeah. I, I, have so. a, I have a friend who's completely free to play here at school, and he just he has, like, one set of equipment that he just keeps moving up the lines. He, he bought like $5 or $6 or $7 or whatever worth of doubloons and he just moves them up the line with him whenever he's grinding because he just never seems to have enough credits to buy another set. So, you know, I, I think moving, uh, like I said, I think that it'd be very, very good for new players. But I, I also think that expecting new players to pay $25 to get said benefits is a, a little steep. And I, and I do think that that will be something that's revisited. Yep. I mean, uh, good a, point. It's a pilot battle pass, so... Oh, yeah. No, we're... Yeah. I'm not getting a pitchfork or anything, and I don't think anybody here is really doing that, but... Um, a good point about the new player thing, because I, I, if I'm honest, I completely forgot the new player experience. That was... Uh, I remember the days of being very credit poor. I will say, yeah. what I remember most about being a new player to World of Warships in, like, 2015, 2016 was... Um, reselling and rebuying my Hindenburg constantly because I would need credits for something and I never played my Hindenburg so I would constantly sell and rebuy it and I was perpetually <laughs> poor. Something I used to do in World of Tanks is I would, because the, the credit income was not so good for me when I was starting off, is I would actually uh, see how close I needed to get in terms of like credits I had that if I sold everything in my garage I could get that next vehicle and then I'd just go back and rebuy the other vehicles. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. that's the curse of the wargaming products is selling things to buy new things. And I, I remember having to wipe out my entire garage just to buy a KV-1. Then I took a stock KV-1 into like 2012 World of Tanks and got my shit ran. This kind of reminds me of the uh, what we used to call in GGWP the scratching chicken school of economics. Because he would sell his tier 10s to buy tier 9s and then he couldn't sell his tier 9s to afford the tier 10s again. God bless. I... Hope he doesn't become an economic or an economist, whatever. 
I, I think there's still a role on that server that said that's called like H Sug F PhD School of Economics. <laughs> that's hilarious. Mm. Well, anyway, another thing that kind of came out this patch was the Japanese cruisers. Um, I actually really, really like. So, okay, I'm usually a really, 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 really big enthusiast of the um, camos and stuff that always come out with these wargaming events for these uh, upcoming lines. As you probably hear the toilet flushing in the background, we love dorm life. <laughs> We're not foreshadowing the, the Japanese cruiser. Yeah, that, 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 the, <laughs> the flushing toilet does not reflect my opinion of the Japanese cruisers. But um, I, I always kind of like these little events that always come out um, with the new lines. I like the fact that, you know, you just kind of passively gain little tokens, whatever they are. And you can usually punch your way up to the 7 or the 8 relatively easily. And I always kind of like that system. Another thing that I always liked is if you pushed it a little bit further and maybe through some dosh at the game or something, you could end up with one of the tier uh, 8 or 9 or even 10 perma camos, which I always really enjoy looking at. So what is, uh, what's everybody's impressions of the kind of rollout of the event, and what, what do people think of the Japanese cruisers? So the event itself like seems pretty standard as far as previous uh, early access events that we've had with the other lines that have come out. Uh, so I don't really have too many opinions on that. On the ships themselves, um, I, the thing I keep coming back to with this is it. So I find the 155 millimeter Mogami to be one of the most interesting and unique play experiences in this entire game. Um, and I feel like there is just such an opportunity to put 155s on all of these cruisers and just have an entire line of 155 Mogamis, but. Alas, we got 150s, which, if I mean, you're the you're the history guy here, Green. That never actually existed, right? Um, not on these mounts and not in this configuration. Japan so had the, the, 150s. The, the, the funny thing um, is that I believe the 150 that got used was actually a Imperial Japanese Army gun, which was only ever used, I think, as shore emplacements, perhaps, towards the end of the war. Yeah, the and we we know how much the army and the navy loved each other. So I, the chances that this gun ever got from the turrets would be pretty low. I regardless, I've, it's it's what existed that would had dual purpose capabilities. So. Oh yeah, definitely the 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 designs and everything uh, existed. When I say they didn't exist, I meant in in like a mount fashion or or yeah, in steel. They, the the I actually fantasy. I actually remember. I think reading the report of a whole bunch of Navy guys just stealing like three howitzers from the army, and that's kind of what they ended up going with here. As, so the, as if the you don't basis. mind me asking, optics, when you mean like a line of one fifty five Megamis, um, like what's the kind of playstyle you're thinking of? Uh, basically, I think the big thing is that one fifty five Megami is basically the one ship that I think it's mandatory to take IFHE on because that gets you above the thirty eight millimeter pen threshold. So. It would essentially be a light cruiser line that doesn't rely on fire damage necessarily to take down battleships. So it's not the annoying HE spammer that just sets you on 500 fires. It's doing actual pen damage to you if you're taking IFHE on them. Oh yeah, I can see that, because with the 150s, I think they do miss out on that 
threshold. Yeah, they do. That you go up to like 37.5, which is enough to get over. Um, I mean, overall, if you compare them directly to Megami, the 150s have very, very similar ballistics. I think they're like 0.6 seconds worse at like 16 kilometers or something. Yeah. Not that much. And they have way more comfortable firing angles, at least on the tier 10. I'm fully willing to admit that this is looking at it in the lens of you are almost there, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, I think that these are going to be very, very interesting ships. I mean, it, again, because I'm a fat history nerd, I'm going to talk quickly about fat history nerd things. I mean, at the beginning, we start off with six-inch guns. Uh, then we go up to the uh, 155s and the Amono that literally just look like uh, Megami turrets. And they are the kind of typical Japanese cruiser turrets of the war. Uh, that whole kind of war period. Relatively... Relatively okay reload. Uh, absolute dog shit on the turret traverse. And made out of uh, paper and dreams. And... Yeah, that, that was a weird thing to see on the Mono, just having the turret traverse be so much worse than the rest of the line. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's... I think probably because they're basically copy-paste of Megami turrets, yeah. which I think have pretty terrible traverse. Yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of Japanese cruisers during the war were not... They didn't have fully powered mounts, so they were... There was a lot of... Uh, there was a lot of lag in... Uh, turning guns onto a target. And then you go up to the Shimanto with like a uh, six second, 180 degree turret time, <laughs> you know, and and the reload goes up to 15 seconds. And it's, it, it was just kind of very interesting for me to kind of see that change in the line. Um, and then we found the motors. Yep. Yep. We, we found electricity. <laughs> it is incredible. We can use it to turn these turrets. Uh, granted, they're still made out of paper, but, you know, it's... um. It, it's still just kind of very interesting to notice that kind of shift because you, you lose the 155s and you go down to the 150s, but the, the mounts themselves get very good. It was actually really interesting for me. Um, a lot of the complaints I saw about the Tier 10, the Yoda, was that, oh, my turrets keep getting blown up. Why don't these have any armor? And then you look at Japanese shipbuilding and they literally never armored their turrets on cruisers. Ever. No, yeah, they armored them against, like, splinters. I, I think the Zhao is the only ship... Like, and it's obviously a Wargaming Fantasy ship, but in-game, in I think it's the only Japanese cruiser that actually has armored turrets. I mean, obviously, if you want to if you want to get pedantic, stuff like the uh, Yoshino, which is a big, oh, yeah. big cruiser. <laughs> but I'm, I'm not going to lampoon you for that, because you're kind of correct to push those out of that envelope. But yeah, Japan really didn't like armoring their turrets. Um, that kind of goes back to their kind of doctrine and, and what they wanted to get out of these ships. Uh, but I don't need to land grandstand right now because this is the history section. So I don't just get to ramble for 20 minutes about something stupid. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's very interesting to see that progression throughout the line. And I think the, the other thing is the, the Tier 10 actually seems very interesting to me. And I will be trying to get this as soon as I can. Um, and it mainly kind of boils down to the torpedoes that we have on these cruisers. Uh, these cruisers maintain some pretty consistently long-range torpedoes. And I think, if I remember correctly, it also has the... I think I watched the um, the kind of channel, or the, the trailer for the update. I think they said they had the, the kind of turning torpedo that I think they had yeah, on the battle they cruisers. Have, they have the turning torpedoes so they can actually have better than zone torpedo arcs. Yeah, that, that's that's kind of where I was going with that. They're going to actually have ar usable arcs forward and, and backwards. It's not just going to be 
like waste arcs and then really good rear arcs. So I, th I think that's going to be very, very interesting as well. Because again, you're, you're walking around with 15 kilometer um, torpedoes on something with a base detect of 12.4. So you, you really can get that I'm going to be a Japanese cruiser that, you know, uses my torpedoes in an aggressive manner, you know, and you can stealth torp stuff, which I think is, is very interesting. They're definitely going to be a nightmare to push into if you're if they're kiting you out on a flank that you're trying to push. Yeah. Also, speaking of Zhao, um, I, one thing that I've seen a lot of people saying and complaining about and comparing the the Yodo to the Zhao, uh, I think that's just a mistake. Like, it, it's not the same ship, not the same guns. Kind of maybe similar playstyles in the sense of like you're an HE slinging kiting ship, but. I just think it's a mistake to compare the ship to a Zhao and just kind of like base your opinion on how strong the, the ship is going to be or the line is going to be based on that. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't... And, I mean, it, it's forgivable. I mean, they're both through 10 Japanese cruisers and, I mean, they have the same set of consumables, essentially. And they both do similar things with guns and torps, but, I mean, you do have to use them differently, so... Like, I feel like if you try to use this like a Sal, you're not going to have a good time. I think the, the most success I've had with actually playing the Church and myself is uh, with the Destroyer Buddy, which, I mean, makes playing most cruisers much easier, but uh, playing, playing cruisers that don't have, like, radar utility in, and into a random game where, like, your own Destroyer is, like, going somewhere else or... Throwing. Not throwing. Yeah. Not instantly. Um, and the, the, the throw weight on the Yodo, at least with 18 guns, is, is very, very high. It's even higher than Zao. Yeah. No, that's so, that's a, a metric shitload of 155s coming your way. And, again, you're doing this uh, every 12 and a half seconds at 18 kilometers, and you have a 10% fire chance. This thing is, is not a, a slouch in the gun department. Yeah, I think the my, my biggest complaint with playing them personally is that they are very sluggish since the holes are absolutely massive to pack on the amount of gun turrets that they have. Um, so especially at tier ten with the tier ten battleship environment, it's super easy to just die. Oh yeah, I the when I, I'm I'm looking at it right now in port, and the first thing I see because you you have a twenty five millimeter yeah. casemate, twenty five balance turn, basically twenty five so, all over the sides. Yeah, so so where Zao is a little bit better armored with the thirty millimeters and is more maneuverable and even a smaller hole. The Yodo is an absolute truck in size and maneuvering, so it's very, very rough to play when there's a lot of battleships. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to think was going to be the downfall of this, just a Montana punching your ticket yep. or something. But So yes, moving on from the Japanese cruisers, which I, I, I'm still kind of looking forward to, we have a we actually had a few graphical improvements this um, patch, and we always here on the podcast we always love giving props to the art department because they always go absolutely nuts on anything that they tend to put into the game, um, and they actually did a lot with um, the kind of actual surf near both land and and vessels uh, in terms of like waves and 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 movement and stuff. Um, and if something else that always kind of comes up whenever there's a graphical improvement or, or, or an environment kind of change is destructible environments. So I was maybe thinking that was something we could talk about for a bit. Something that always comes up when that's brought up is uh, icebergs falling apart. People shot up, you know, good 
people want to be able to shoot apart icebergs. And I didn't know if that was something that you guys thought would be good addition to the game, bad addition to the game, something that would be. Uh, so this was possible. before my time, but I think I've heard people talk about how that was at some point tested. I think. Yeah. So if you've been playing for a while, you would have remembered the dev blog where uh, we mentioned that destructible icebergs for islands of ice were in testing. And I think the main idea behind adding destructible elements was ways to make uh, certain maps like newer or add new things to them and change them up without having to go through the whole work of designing and adding a new map. So basically just extra map diversity. Um, as far as I'm aware, I'm not sure if it's something that we're actively looking at right now, um, but there's always potential for it. I also don't know how far it got in testing. Like, was it did it ever make it to like PTS or anything like that, or was it purely? No, I think I think the most it ever went through was probably the the closed testing programs. I see. I know uh, back in the day, World of Tanks also did something similar uh, in terms of like fully destructible buildings. Because I don't know if either of you play World of Tanks, but there's uh, buildings you can knock over, buildings you can't knock over, and and stuff that falls into each category. But they they did try, and they did put up a few videos about fully destructible environments. So I, I don't know if that's just something that always kind of kicks up in the wargaming wheelhouse and they, they think about implementing it. Yeah. And I think it fits better into tanks than it would into warships. Not Like, it's hard for me to think of a scenario where, like, destructible terrain would be super meaningful in a warships game where, like, you either have to sit there and shoot it for 30 seconds at the start of the game and it's not relevant anymore or... After like two minutes shooting, it, it's just a pain. Um, yeah, that's that's something that I I think is gonna be that that would need to be weighed because you're you're exactly right. What's the pros and cons of me shooting this iceberg for a minute? What's the pros and cons? You know, something like that. I mean, I can see pros. There's somebody behind the iceberg. You remove the iceberg. They're out in the open. Um, but at the exact opposite end of of that uh, scenario, you also have to put the time into removing the iceberg. I mean, the thing that immediately comes to mind for me is using it as a way to open up pathways on the map. So, for example, take uh, Northern Lights near the sea cap, the, the gap between the two big islands on, like, the 3 o'clock position of the cap. Mm -hmm. um, if there's, like, an iceberg there, uh, it could be meaningful to destroy that iceberg to open up the path to the 910 line or from the, the 910 line into the cap. Something, like, along that situation I could see being an interesting way to do it. Uh, but I would also say that if you had destructible terrain, it would have to be done in a way where it's obvious that terrain is being broken, either by like a sound cue or like a visual cue or something like that. Yeah, I was I was thinking along the lines of people would still be, uh, you know, obviously detected while shooting, and you'd probably ah I don't know yeah because that's the thing you would you would want a cue because I I was thinking initially it'd be very difficult to miss somebody just dumping fire into an iceberg or something. But if you're all focused on, say, one side of the map or you're, or you're focused on one cap or something, yeah, you might not notice terrain disappearing. Yeah. yeah. I will say, uh, for the rest of the graphical improvements this patch, we had a lot of updated maps. It was really weird to load into mountain range and have it not be orange. Yeah. Yeah, I, I booted into mountain range on my potato in class this week, my, my laptop, and the whole map just burned my eyes. It was so weird. Yeah, it's very, very bright now. Yep. Normal looking. It, it also didn't help that I was playing a Duncan with white camo. So it was like bright water, <laughs> white ship. 
it just it just hurt my eyes. I had to stay scoped in the whole game. But um, obviously, we, we we appreciate and love all the improvements as well. The art, like I said, the art department always smashes it out of the park. They, they it's a beautiful game we have here. I mean, there there's times where even even right now during the podcast when we're recording, nine times out of ten, I'm I'm looking at ships in port just because of how nice they look. Um, but that's also again because I'm a fat history nerd. I mean, I started playing the game because I wanted to stare at uh, a taco. It's my favorite cruiser ever. Huh. Thank God he didn't say ship girl. I was gonna say there's a no, twitch. No, seriously. There's a twitch not, clip. Not, I started playing warships way before I was into Cancol or even anime in general. To be honest. With a lot of the people that I ran into, it's the it's the inverse. You have people who are like, "Wow, I really like." X boat in Azure Lane. I can go and get it in this boat game too. Let's Wait, go. The, the Tago was a ship. Of the photographs of the Takao classes are, are beautiful. They're they're bridge structure and they're so oh, yeah. Sexy, a a lot of so sexy. A lot. I mean, f- there's even like really good uh, artistic pictures of like Nelson underway, and Nelson is just like a brick with another brick standing <laughs> up. You know, there, it's I. It's one of the things that always keeps me uh, in in naval history is just the beautiful pictures and the beautiful looking ships. Um, one of the most, or one of my earliest memories was looking at the Salem every time I drove over the bridge in Quincy up in Massachusetts and just seeing yeah. it. Uh, that the outline of it was was super close to me growing up. Um, Damn the, the Massachusetts and some other ships in there. Yeah, all that. I went there a lot as a kid. Yeah, all that's burnt into my head. I love it. It's it's beautiful. For me, it was, for me it was the Texas. That's one on my America list. Museum ships all over. Yep. I think there was a, a somebody like mapped it out, and America would still have like the fifteenth largest navy in the world if they just activated all of their reserve ships, <laughs> which I think is interesting. Of course. Which you know is is great. But yeah, no, it's 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 beautiful. I mean, like right now, I just got Jinan, and I'm just looking at Jinan in port. I'm I'm literally just scrolling around looking at it, and it's awesome. But I think that's something that's never going to get old for me about World of Warships. It's just there's so much detail in the ships. Yeah, the the, the and like sh- so here's here's something I will gripe about though with the the ships in port. We know the art department or the modeling department, whoever does it, takes the time to model the interior of the ships because like. Whenever you sink and your ship breaks apart, like you can see inside the the conning tower, you can see inside other parts of the ship. I really wish I had more control in port about being able to like zoom into specific parts of the ship, like not just the turrets. Whenever you click on the turrets, or like I just want to be able to like walk around the uh, ship. I, I guess I have to agree completely, honestly, and I think it's a good suggestion. Is that more freedom for, over the port camera in general would be awesome. Um, like being able to look at the ship interiors, like X-ray maybe, or even yeah. Uh, like the only way you can look at the bottom of your ship right now is if you go into the spaceport or the designer table port, mm-hmm. I think. The Azulane port. But it would be nice to be able to now that we have underwater world model, if you could just move your camera underwater as well. I I have to agree as well because I, I again with growing up next to or close to so many historical ships, there's times where I just look at Salem and port and I'm like, hey, I've been there, I've done this there, I've done that there. I mean, it, it, one of my biggest joys in this game is going to Tier 8, selecting the Massachusetts, because, uh, again, I, I, I frequent Battleship Cove as well, and I can tell you which Bofors mount my friend and I were playing on, and we hit no, uh, no Zoop for you in the head with at a Wargaming Anchors Away event. 
I can, I can, I'm looking at it right now. Yep, it's it's great. I love that level of detail on ships. So yeah, whenever I have, whenever I have the game open, I'm on the phone with somebody, for example. Like I, I'll sit here for thirty minutes and just like spin around in the ship, and I just wish I could go deeper. Yeah, I I, I agree as well. But there's also not to be negative, Nancy, but there's also. Um, you know, there's performance and, and running that I think also have to be taken into consideration, you know, uh, where if you have to load all these internal assets, if you have to load all these all these pathways, all these everything, that's going to add a lot to the game in terms of uh, Yeah, that's true. And, and the size. port already does use a lot of your GPU. Yep. Uh, I think like, so, you I know, think I, the best way to, I think be, the best way to do it would be kind of like the armor layout where you have to like actually click to go into the armor layout. Just have like a separate button to like or I'm just picturing somebody needing a 4090 to like walk the decks of the USS Massachusetts. <laughs> Worth it. Worth it. Why did you spend 12 billion dollars on this GPU? I want to walk around on the boat. <laughs> based. Yes, very much so. Speaking of based, I know that you two both like clan battles. I know that you two both have uh, competitive mindsets. Unfortunately, I have the uh, mindset of a stunted barbarian caveman, so comp is not my strong suit. However, I believe this Wednesday we're starting a new clan battle season. That is correct. That is correct. Oh, we have the. I think it's actually going to be a longer clan battles. I think it's supposed to go over Christmas. I think. Uh, yeah, this is a pretty long. I think ten weeks. So oh, over Jesus. about two patches. No. Yeah. So t- ten weeks, and this is, I think, kind of a little bit of return to to ba- return to roots here because we've got two BBs and no CVs. So what 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 do what do you think we're gonna see? We we did it with the tier eight season here at the podcast, and I just want to say I knew Cherbourg was gonna be ran. Everybody laughed at me. Ha 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 ha. Yeah, you were the prophet, huh? Listen, I don't want to say I came down from the mountain with the stone tablets. But I did. So, meh. But what did, there's what did, a lot to be said about throwing as much HP as possible at a problem. Yeah, I mean, the, the first day we ran into people running a full chairboard comp, I was like, what are they doing? This sucks. <laughs> and I ran into the border and lost, and I was like, man, that sucks. It, it turns out the ship <laughs> sucks, but when you bring six of them, it doesn't suck so much. Oh, we'll just farm them down. Oh, God, they have fucking 100,000 more health than us. Shit. Yeah, it's a traumatic. God, we're out of map. Oh, no. But um, we're for this for this season though, um, it is it is a return to a little bit more of a standard format. I know um, for the first, I think five or six seasons of Clan Battles, it was one v or one battleship seven v seven. So it's similar to that, but two battleships. I'm personally not a big fan of two battleships since I think it makes cruisers other than like Napoli and Petro pretty unplayable. Especially now that we have monsters in the game like Saint Vincent. Yeah, I would hard agree with that. I would have loved to see a 1BB so, season. So personally, I would have liked the 1 Battleship. I'll still take this, though, because I think it's going to be fun. Um, it'll just be more slewed towards the really tanky cruisers, I think. Mm. I, I think that that is... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the opposite camp here. And I'm going to argue that it's actually... I think that it's going to be good to kind of shake things up. Because something that I've noticed a lot when there's only one battleship kicking around is a lot of their cruisers 
can play a lot more openly on the opposite side of the map from a battleship um, because maybe it's it's a Kremlin and it doesn't have the range or something like that. So I, I think that it's going to be uh, kind of interesting to kind of have people forced to take into consideration, um, you know, crossfires and stuff like that again. You know, can 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 I get arced over this island? By the Yamato, can I get shot at by the Shikishima from here? Stuff like that. I th I think kind of return to that. I think is going to be interesting. I mean, yeah, to degree, go go ahead. Go ahead to to degree, you still had to worry about crossfires because I mean, you had Stalingrads that were running around. That's fair. Um, R rip a red curtain, by the way. That was another. I think monkey comp. I I think the the main thing with two BB is that you just don't get the freedom of choice with cruisers like. With 1BB, DM becomes, in my opinion, probably the strongest cruiser in the game. Uh, with 2BBs, like, the positions where you would put a DM kind of become untenable. So you get to default back to, like, the boring, you know, set on island with a Petro or a Mosua type of play. And, like, personally, I'd rather see, like, a more dynamic cruiser play. Um, and the single BB sort of really makes you take things into account, like what you were saying about, oh, maybe it's a Kremlin and then he just doesn't have range on me. Well... You know, that's that comes down to where do you position your one battleship? Like, you have to get more value out of your battleship. So where you put it makes a lot more of a difference to winning the game than having two BBs, and you get to just sit them in opposite sides of the map and look for crossfires. Yeah. And it also makes a calculation of like, well, does it make sense to bring a Kremlin if I'm not going to be able to shoot the other side of the map, or do I bring something like a Montana was a really popular choice from VODs that I've seen from like the first few clan battle seasons because it could shoot anywhere on the map. The way, the way I like to look at it, and the reason why I prefer one battleship, personally, from having played a shit ton of clan battles over the course of my life, is that with, with one battleship, uh, like, generally pushing into a battleship with cruisers is suicidal. Um, so one battleship season, the battleship goes somewhere on the map, the other side of the map is playable. There's two battleships, and people just put one on each flank. It really turns into, like, more of a Nobody pushes. People just switch across the map from each other, in my opinion. Like, how are, how are you going to push the battleship off? You're just going to have to slowly work it down over the course of, like, four minutes. Yeah, that, that, that's that's very fair as well. Because, I mean, that, that that's one of my earliest kind of memories of clan battles is, okay, I am Moskva. I sit on this rock. If I push up a millimeter forward, I get dumpstered by the fucking Yamato. If I push a yeah. millimeter backwards, I get dumpstered by the fucking Montana. I stay on rock for 15 minutes and occasionally I radar. You know, I, I think that a return to that kind of level of play wouldn't be all that fun. But I, I, I think the, I think cross shots are still going to be, I, I like cross shots. I don't know. So the, well, the, I mean, the, the thing is with ships like, like Napoli and Petro existing now, and I guess especially Napoli that can play more open water, is that it still will be kind of dynamic, I guess, with Napoli yeah. running around the map since they won't instantly die to battleships, but uh, in, in general, like, yeah, you'll have to worry about the crossfire. And I was going to make the same point about Napoli. Like, at least you have a ship that can go and be aggressive into battleships because that was the tools to do it. No, yeah, Nap Napoli has... I mean, it's it's made out of asbestos and 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 cinder blocks, so it just it, it doesn't take damage and it has a disengaged smoke, you know. So that I I, I think can play a lot more out in the open. Uh, Petro, even though it got nerfed into the ground with that half a meter or whatever citadel or ship raise it got, <laughs> whatever that was, 
it's still fucking flat as shit. Yeah, um, I keep, that's that's something I keep hearing people saying like Petra's bad now because it got raised out of the water and the deck changes. But uh, I regret to inform you that Petra is still strong. It is. It, it, yep. Yeah, it I, is. I agree with that for sure. It is still also made out of asbestos and and fucking cinder blocks. I it, think the most relevant thing for competitive at least with the petro changes is the 40 millimeters since if you know people are going to be playing a lot of petros you can bring ifhe on des moines or something <laughs> if you want to be the spicy troll if you're if you're addison if you're addy you can bring a goliath he loves so, that boat yeah i mean i think henry as well will pet it without ifhe I, I think that's true and 40 millimeters so you have you have a few options now with actually doing damage to Petro where we'll just ignore everything, which is good. I think the other thing that people are thinking back to with Petro is um, it was unbanned for the Conde season, or the Super Ship season, I should say, which ended up just being everybody running Condes. So it, in that sense, the 40 millimeter deck change actually affected it a lot because you just had yeah. two Condes running around every game. So yeah. you saw less Petro. Yeah, you'd, but, see, you'd find the Petro on the rock and it'd just be like, get him, get him, get him. But I, I don't... I don't think it's very fair to judge uh, Petro's strengths based on a season where you had two of the strongest ships ever yeah. to be introduced into this game. When you fought tier 11. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I think I think Petro and Napoli will both see a lot of play this season since they're not restricted, not banned. Yes, Skill Gapoli is going to get played, dude. It's, it's, it's going to be tossed out there a whole bunch. It's because even, even with its downsides... Which I, I still don't always like the guns. They're not consistent for me. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm curious. I have to ask your guys' opinion. What do you think about the three clever Marcel limit? Do you think it's even relevant? Uh, I do not. I think so. In this and in COTS, um, I think the Cleb Marceau limits have just. too late to be effective, right? Like, it, it, this should have been something that was relevant like three years ago. Now <laughs> I, it's just kind of. Like, I, I think Clever and Marceau, or Clever especially, was really strong three years ago, and in today's game, it's really not yeah. that big of a deal. Um, I, I think... I, oops, sorry. I'm going to say, with the IFHE nerf, um, that happened a long time ago now, uh, Des Moines getting 30mm sides, Napoli exists now, Petro exists now. Um, Ragnar? Ragnar exists. Um, a lot of the... Like, what Clever Comp did well was find a cruiser and kill it at the start of the game. But now people play unkillable cruisers, so. It so aside from really work. aside from the speed, a lot of what like old club wolf packs or old club gave you, you just get in Ragnar now. You get the thirty millimeter pen, and you get to like insta win destroyer fights. Doesn't Ragnar also get a heal? I don't know. I don't play yep, the triangle yeah. class. Yep. Actually, I do. I played Elbing earlier today. That's that's a destroyer, obviously. That doesn't count. No, that does. That does. It is a little triangle. So the, the funny thing that I saw happening, the first season that Ragnars were out, uh, a lot of the Asian clans were running IFHE Marceaux to be able to pen the 25mm. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it works. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. I would I'd say personally, though, I would have liked to see no limit on Clever Marceau since I think it's not relevant whatsoever. I don't think they're even going to be that playable. Yeah, I, I the one... Back. I would have liked to see a, a limit on Napoli and Petro, maybe. I, I, I really would have liked to see a limit on uh, Napoli. I, I think that Napoli is, is going to be in every single freaking game. 
Um, I, I don't... <sighs> I don't know if Petro really needs it because again we we've talked about a lot of the it's still a strong ship. Don't don't yell at me. I'm not saying it's not strong. But I, I still think that with that deck change and with the cruisers out there, I still think that it's gonna be something that's gonna be easily more more easily countered, if that makes yeah, sense. I, I somewhat agree and it it will be nice to see how much people play it and uh, how effective it is at not dying still. Without mm -hmm. a limit. So if it's a problem, just the limits will be fast. Ever since the introduction of Napoli, I've, I've said that I would much rather deal with a Petra than a Napoli. Like, I find Napoli to be way more annoying yeah. to deal with. The other I thing... Mean, oops, sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I have a little bit of a delay here, so I don't mean to talk over anybody. But the other ship that I, I, I'm putting my money down right now and I'm saying we're going to see a lot of is Marseille's. I, really? Yes. Mm. Yes. 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 I think we're going to see a lot at the beginning, and I think it's going to plateau out, because I think a lot of people are going. To, I think it's going to be a combination of factors. I think that people are going to be attempting to giga stomp cruisers with the guns because they're three thirties AP, the whole shiboinga. You can fight cruisers easily. You can shoot HE at battleships, and if a battleship shows you side, you can shoot AP at the battleship. And I think that that's kind of going to be the, the end goal. Because again, it has 11.6 detect for some reason. It's an affront to God. I don't know why it has that detect. Um, it, it, it's quick. I think that we're going to see some maybe out wider or some weird Marseille positionings to begin with. I, I, think, I think I agree that we might see them. I think though that Marseille at tier 10 is maybe less effective and competent than tier 1 was at tier 8 just because battleships are way, way more deadly at tier 10 and Napoli exists and there's really no Napoli equivalent anywhere else in the game. Oh yeah, I'm not, I, I don't think it's gonna, I don't think we're gonna see it like replace Napoli and I don't think it's, it's gonna be, yeah, I'm gonna take six Marseilles and crip walk them into your mouth because yeah, you're, you're entirely right. If, if Marseille... Kremlin, a lot of the battleships at the tier, Ohio, it, it's just going to not have fun. Because at the end of the day, Marseille, 25, 25, 25, 36. You know, it, it's going to, it's still going to eat damage from battleships. But I, I think you're going to see a few, like I said, one or two of them on a team, and I think they're going to be in some fairly aggressive positions, maybe in an attempt to dig out a cruiser. But I also don't do strats for Bong Z, and I'm an illiterate monkey. So. I don't know anything. I'm just kind of throwing my two cents in there well, because being right last season elevated my ego to such a state. <laughs> so no, I think com coming from to... coming from uh, a, somebody who was on a team that ran two Marseilles into the Thunderdome and Sleeping Giant when there wasn't even a cap in there anymore, I have mixed feelings about Marseille for this clan battle season. I think it's I think it's a ship that. You can do a lot of funny things with it's it's fast has a good conceal has a reload booster so you could in theory run two of them down a flank and just like try to get on the side of the cruisers on on that side of the map as quickly as possible and just win that fight outright with like a destroyer in front of it maybe a marceau or something fast but i think that style of play also is more favored in a larger format like cots where you have nine ships that you can bring when it's 7v7 or 6v6, as we've had in the previous couple of clan battle seasons, like that style of play kind of doesn't do as much for you. 
Um, the reason Sherberg worked so well as well is just it was faster than every other destroyer. So if you're in a Cossack, you unironically just get run down by a yeah by I, a Sherberg. I remember like that happened that, to me. I I don't know if that works with Marseilles at tier ten, because other cruisers also have more DPM at tier ten. Mm-hmm. That's very fair. Like I said, this is really just my ego talking. No, I mean, I, I think you're going to be right where we're going to see them at the start. Um, I'm not sure if they'll stick around, though. Mm. Oh, well, we'll see if lightning strikes I uh, would, twice. You know what? I would put I would put money on AP running Marseilles at the start because they love doing their... They used to do it with Henri's, where they'd run, like, double Henri down a flank and try to gain ground on that flank as quickly as possible. So I can definitely see them doing that with, uh, with Marseilles instead, which, in a way, is just better Henri in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's you, you don't have you don't have the DPM, but you have better conceal, better speed, better acceleration, um, and you do have a reload booster on the gun. So if you get on somebody's side, then that's really painful. Yeah, that should be interesting. I'm just looking forward to getting run down by four nappies. <laughs> yep, it's gonna be great. The skill gapily will be real. But um, is is there anything else that you guys think we're we're gonna see in in prevalence? A initial projections, kind of like mine, obviously. Saint <laughs> Vincent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I th I think we're gonna see a lot of that. Um, it's it just. Was, it was really surprising to see how few teams on NA for COTS were in Saint Vincent. It was so strong. I think a lot of people just didn't realize. I mean, I I doubt a lot of people grinded for it on their mains. So when they saw it on their press count, they just didn't even think about playing it. Yeah. I, think the, I think the knowledge of just how strong it was uh, percolated through the other servers a little bit more quickly. Yeah, I I knew that these things were going to be very, very good the millisecond I saw them. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. I'm the messiah. Listen, just let, me, let, just let me walk my ego, please. Let me cling to some semblance of relevancy and knowledge. But, uh, I, I, I mean, come on, you can't... How can you not see it actually on paper? Screw you. No, I, I'm not a prophet. I'm just... I have eyes. 30 seconds, reload, 9457s, AP, HE, that um, I think it's normal HE, and is it short fuse AP? It's regular AP. Yeah, so there you go. And the HE is normal HE damage, but I believe it has the boosted fire chance that the other British battleships get. Yeah, it's chilling at 63% fire chance. That's... I, actually, I actually did a did a funny uh, thought experiment here where I thought about all the pros of St. Vincent and then what the drawbacks are supposed to be. And hopefully this doesn't get me fired, but in my opinion, this is a very egregious ship, so... So, the, all, all the pros of St. Vincent. You have overmatch, you have speed boost plus brisk, making you go 40 knots when you're undetected. It has the British acceleration uh, specialty where it goes zero to full in like no time. 30k damage torpedoes, defensive fire, 40 millimeter deck, super heal, really good civil layout and protection, so it basically never gets up. Improved HE fire chance, has really low freeboard, all the turrets are forward, so really good uh, arm angles, very hard to get the citadel. Again, has a pretty small superstructure when you're angled forwards, and 12.8 conceal is pretty close to best in tier for tier 10 battleships. And then to compensate for all of that, we got a 25 millimeter balance turn and 79,000 hit points. Yeah, I 
the the second I saw the ship and I knew the the helix got, I I knew that the, the hit points really weren't going to matter because you were going to be able to stretch those like the fuck out like it was laffy taffy. It's, it's barely less hit points than Conqueror on a way more durable hull with the same super heal. I think a lot of the reason why people didn't run it at, in COTS is just they looked at the twenty five millimeter armor and just kind of said nope without actually playing it or trying to like. Do yeah, damage I mean, to it. The thing is, in practice, the 25 millimeter sections are pretty small, and even if you get full pen, you're not going to get soot because of how small the citadel is. And then you have the 40 millimeter deck plus low freeboard means people will usually just bounce off that. Uh, unless I missed it, the other thing you didn't mention is the haha funny forward facing torpedoes. Yes, I, I mentioned it has torpedoes, I did not mention the angles are incredible. Like, it's, it just denies any possible ram and. Rams tend to be a big thing in, in competitive battleship. Yeah, I mean, the person who tries to avoid the ram instantly dies to broadside citadel, so having an option to avoid the ram by dumping 30k damage torpedoes at somebody is very good. That's my little... Do you think, kind of branching off of that a little bit, do you think NA in general is slower to catch on than EU to newer ships? Uh, I mean, our server is smaller in general by pretty significant factors, so just less people around to brainstorm and put ideas out there, I guess. Try things. That's fair. Uh, I mean, it, we did also see a fair bit of Marseille, but I feel like we... Like, Ragnar was very popular immediately, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, again, I think just not a lot of people got the same votes in particular on NA. And I just not played it, and people probably didn't want to play ships that they haven't played into COTS for the first time. I think the start of this season is going to be a lot of just trying stuff out, just because, like, it's... We've had so many limits on previous seasons from the get-go that you kind of know what you're going to see, right? Like... If you limit Petros, you ban Petros, you're going to see Mosfos everywhere. Um, if you have one BB, then you're going to see things like Des Moines come making a comeback. But with a wide open field, um, I, I don't really count the French DD limit as a limit because, I mean, you still get three. Um, yeah, I mean, the thing is, in a 7v7, three clubbers was the comp anyways. You didn't bring more than yeah. that. Like, I feel like it's going to be the first maybe two weeks, give or take, are going to be people just trying a lot of different things out. So I don't think you're going to see, like, a meta develop until, like, at least a weekend. Like, I think people are going to be trying different things, like Smolensk and Smoke, or running down the flank with fast cruisers like Marseille, or just a bunch of clubs. Um, maybe a bunch of Ragnar, Zork, or not Zorky, uh, what's the new one, Delny? Delny, oh god. I, you know what? I'm I'm not a Delny enjoyer myself, but I, a lot of teams seem to like Delny. I don't understand it. I guess in theory, it's good for anti destroyer work if you're pairing it with another destroyer, but I feel like you just have better combinations to do that with. Yeah, I I think the main reason people bring it is because it is pretty hard to kill, so people use it as like a aggro tank kind of. I almost feel like Cav still does that job better, you know, minus the rudder. Yeah, I mean, the only advantage it only has over Cav is, I think, the, the range and the maneuverability, so it's, it's harder to hit, so I think people will play over Cav for that. 
Like literally its job is probably just to sit at range and make people focus it for not much gain. Hello, I'm back. I'm very sorry. My roommate got soap in his eyes and was screaming bloody murder in the shower. Yikes. So I decided to not, to mute my microphone so you guys didn't hear that. It's very kind of you. We were just oh, discussing yes. the merits of beautiful ships like Delny. I'm a benevolent god. Ah, oh, Delny, don't mention that around me. They yeah, took, me too, me too, man. They took my, my beautiful cob, my steel camoed boy. They took him out and then Did they you did. actually put a steel camo on your cab? Yes. Oh my. I had a hard choice. I had to put it on Zao or Cab and I chose Zao. That's a base choice. I'll I'll respect that, Mr. Geishu. But no, for me it it, it was Cobb. I was drunk. Um, Boris the Pipe needed a nice uh, you know, ship to there's people at the door again, god damn it. Peace. Very popular dorm, I know. But no, it's Boris the Pipe. I have the, the Champion of the Waves or Rider of the Waves, whatever the fuck that event was. I have Boris the Pipe on there and, and I have a Steel Cob and I, I love it to pieces. For me, How it was... Bad of an idea? How bad of an idea would it be to put a Steel Camo on the Louisiana when it comes out? <laughs> <laughs> the, the flight deck would be like looking at a it's mirror. It's a beautiful shiny flight deck. It would probably blind you every time you loaded into the game. <laughs> Especially oh, on these new maps with the new graphics. Just be a shining block of light. My favorite, my favorite fact about steel camos is another ship that I very much enjoy. The um, oh, what's it called? I can't think of the name. The incomparable. There we go. Sleep deprived brain is firing now. Do you know what happens if you put a steel camo on incomparable? Is it the same thing as a uh, shiki where the sun, the gun sounds go away? Yep. Yeah, I've never Aww. understood how those the gun sounds and the visual of the camo are tied together in some way, shape, or form. That is the only reason I have not put a a, a uh, steel camo on the big war canoe, dude. I got I gotta have the gun sounds. But that I I, I, I never understood it either. But hey, I'm also not a video game like speaking designer of, or builder. Speaking of incomparable, it's kind of funny that St. Vincent just kind of took incomparable out of the game. Yeah, Incomp showed up for like two months, and they were like, okay, all right, this we like this premise. We like stealth. We like big guns. We like, this is good. 40 knots. This is incredible. But, you know, it's behind the it's behind the wall of steel. You know, you need to grind the steel to get it. And then a few minutes later, Incom or um, St. Vincent just comes out and says, like, yeah, I can do all of that with a little bit more detect. Fuck yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, you have to look at it <laughs> in the vein of comp, right? Like, in comp sacrifices three gun barrels for the ability to overmatch other battleships. But overmatching other battleships isn't very relevant and competitive since you're playing with one or two battleships. So hmm. the extra 50% guns to shoot at cruisers with is very, very important. Plus, you also basically remove the, the, the vulnerable broadside from the in comp by taking the same incident. What are you talking about? I I definitely wasn't 30k'd yesterday by a Moskva attempting to yeah. turn out an incomp because pain. it's made out of depression and stale cookies. Dude, we, we love, what is it, like a 178mm belt? What is this piece of shit? 279, fuck. So Lord Admiral Jackie Fisher's dream to be yeah. his armor. Dude, he needed to be locked in a fucking loony bin. Yeah, he was a lunatic for sure. Oh, yeah. But... Oh Jesus! It's a beautiful looking ship. Like I'm happy to have it in game, and and it's always nice to see the the kind of end genesis of naval design. I mean, we get the Montana, 
we get the 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 FDG. You know, we get all of these end of the line kind of developments of naval trees. So I'm I'm very happy that the incomparable's here. But yeah, Jackie, put some more fucking iron on the side of this thing for the love <laughs> of God. No, it has to go fast. Ah, yes, it has to go fast. We're going to put 381 millimeters on the turret. Okay, what are we going to put on the armor belt? Uh, 279. Why? We're going to make it a mile long. Why? <laughs> yep. Because we're going to put the biggest fucking engine on this thing and it's going to go 40 knots. Why? What are you going to be running down? Everything. Length, length is speed. Length is speed. It's the 1920s. We don't know how to design hulls very well. Length is speed. Ugh. But yeah, for, ugh. I will say Incomp is, is still really fun. It's just it just kind of got displaced from competitive instantly when when Saint Vincent came around. Uh, it, I'll, I'll say it again. I'll, I'll say what I always say about it. It's my favorite destroyer. I love it. <laughs> it's it's great in testing. Yeah. I when when uh, it was in testing and I just kind of saw him in randoms. I was like, this is a this is a piece of shit because I saw the gun range on it. And I'm like, okay. No gun range, seventeen six. That's like tier five, tier six gun range. That's not gonna. That's not gonna cut it at tier ten. But I didn't know the surface detect, and I just kind of always see them push up into the middle of the map, look at a Des Moines, and then absolutely roundhouse kick the Des Moines, and then just slip away again. Yeah, that's can you, a fun comparison you imagine? You like to make is outspotting Des Moines with a battleship that one shots it. Yeah, uh, can you imagine being a Des Moines player. When this thing was in testing, you had no idea what it was, and then suddenly it's like, oh, I'm spotted. Oh, this dumb destroyer is going to get wrecked. What oh, the no. fuck? Five <laughs> seconds later, Incomp renders. Fuck. Yeah, Incomp renders. Oh, yeah, it's, what is this this it's a destroyer. Oh, it has 70,000 hit points. It's going 40 knots. It's like, a, it's like a big ship on heroin. It's just charging me down. Oh, it just took half my health. My comfy island doesn't seem so comfy anymore. All right, it's been 20 seconds. Surely this thing is... Oh, my God, it's shooting me again. It's got Sharnhorst reload. Holy shit. Good thing, I have my, good thing I have my battleship friend behind me. He'll just chunk him for 20k. Wait, how is he healing so much? Oh, my God, it's unkillable. <laughs> He's on four fires and running at me. Help. <laughs> And, and just moments like that, because there are times like that where, like, I'll, I'll go around an island, or I'll just, I'll just be like, yeah, I'm going to go down the 910, and then there's nothing that stops me. It's great. I love it. Oy vey. Anyway, moving on from the income, as much as I want to stay and talk about it, because now I'm just looking at this big, long piece of shit in my port, and I'm, I'm loving it more and more. We actually got some new uh, vessels announced here, new boats. Yes, some very spicy ones. Yes. Um, all, uh, although it's not as cool, I think. None of these are as cool as the Hector, which we got, which was announced two days after we talked about it with Drakinefeld on the podcast. Again, I'm not a prophet. But um, it, we, we have the Brisbane, which I think is a HE Minotaur. Yep, right? it's an HE Radar Minotaur. Yep, no, no, no smoke. I think, and it has, I think, the same torps, right? It has a better torque range. I better torque range. Well. Twelve point five kilometers. That's not too too shabby. But yeah, that is. I actually, yeah. Is it? Um, it's still APHE, right? It's not like HE SAP or something. 
Yeah, yeah so regular itchy and regular EB. Okay. So, but that that's good. Just a just a minnow that you're forced to play out of smoke with HE. I like that. I'll, I'll, I'll mess with that. Yep. But yeah, I, I also I also kind of like that we're getting com- more Commonwealth ships because uh, it, it was always kind of depressing for me to click the tech tree and then click Commonwealth and just see the Perth sitting there alone, you know? Yep. Because yeah, it, always, it was always funny to me because you go through, you have Europe one line, Pan-Asia, you got your two lines. Netherlands, you've got your one line. And then you click Commonwealth, and it's just the Perth sitting there in the middle of your screen. Hello. I'm here. I'm here, too. I have no friends, but I'm here. <laughs> I just wish you could use British captains on Commonwealth ships. <laughs> you can use yeah, British... That was really the sad thing with Commonwealth having so few ships was that commanders weren't very relevant. Like, you would have to train one commander just to play the Perth. Yeah, wasn't the Vampire 2... Isn't the Vampire 2 Commonwealth, right? Yeah. Yeah, I remember one of the biggest things when Vampire 2 came out is nobody wanted to get it because they're like, I don't have a fucking 21-point Commonwealth captain because I played, like, my Perth every other month, you know? So, but yeah, I I think that it'd be cool to punch the British captains over, but now that we're getting more and more Commonwealth ships, because if I remember correctly, the Hector is also a Commonwealth ship? Yes, yes it is. Yes. So, you know, I kind of like that we're getting more and more of them. I wish we'd get a line and not just ships that could have gone in the Royal Navy tech tree, not going in the Royal Navy tech tree. But we'll see where Wargaming goes with it. The Vampire 2 was actually a nice release for me because I did have, I think, a 19-point Haida Captain or something like that. Yeah, I, I remember that you, you were kind of outnumbered in that camp. Um, but now, now that there's a lot more ships out that are uh, Commonwealth, and we, we we have a lot more vampires kicking around, it's speaking nice. Speaking of speaking of captains that aren't wasted on a single ship, uh, we also got the announcement for the new Pan American ship. So now, if you have a 21 point captain, you're Nueva de Julio. You're not. <laughs> you have to be able to use them on the tech. Tree. What's yeah, what's the? It's even the same class of ships and same style, kind of. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting because I we were in the middle of a I think we we're in the middle of a deep rock mission when that got posted. We we can talk about that for a bit because I, I think yeah, those are very uh, interesting. You know what? Listening to Chuck try to pronounce the names was that was fantastic. great. Fucking big big English accent. He just Coronel Bolognese. It's like all right, thank you, <laughs> thank you, Chuck. Uh, 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 Ignacio Al Al End E. It's like thank you. All right, just calm down. Go back to conquering the world or whatever English people do for fun. Go back. Go away. I believe it's losing the empire now. <sighs> I didn't want to go there. We, I actually um, was a proactive podcast host and looked at our metrics, and we actually have a lot of people who listen from England. So I have to Uh-oh. not piss them off. Well, good thing I'm a guest. Really? Yep. Yeah, I guess so. But yeah, yeah I, I went through the analytics. It was actually pretty interesting. I, I did not believe this, and I had to double-check it, but there's actually women who listen to this podcast, which just blows my mind, because it, why would you listen to me and grief or ramble? <laughs> are you sure? Look, are you sure that the British people that are watching this is not just Bear 500 times? It's Bear and his mom. <laughs> there's a... I'll, I'll, where, where is it? Hold on. I'm on the website. The other thing, actually, yeah, the Pan-Asian cruisers, dude. San Martini, we're get, we're getting we're getting a Worcester replacement or Worcester whatever. Dude, I, what is the, uh, the sudden obsession with putting Worcesters in the game? 
I, we haven't I, had too many Worcesters. We have had a lot of Atlantas, though. Well, yeah, but the now the Worcesters just becoming the Atlanta of Tier 10. Yeah, I mean, well, American light cruisers are everywhere. And the thing really, though, is that American ships went everywhere after the war, so... Well, yeah, that's I, I, I totally understand that. So that's why, like, the, the Nueve de Julio was, was great to get. Because that's a ship you can you can tie into history. That's, you know, because the, the U.S. did exactly that. They were like, okay, we can either sell these and make more money, or we can turn them into razor blades and make less money. And then South America was like, hey, um, we don't want our gunboats from the 1900s anymore. What do you have? And they're like, all right, well, here's a Boise. Have fun. Um, but the, these designs are, at least for the, the Tier 9 and Tier 10, um, are just kind of preliminary U.S. Navy light cruiser designs, which I find very interesting. And the Adas as well. Uh, yep. But it's nice to get a it's nice to get a three turret Fiji here at tier seven with the Coronel Bellagio as Chuck said, um, you know, and then we also get a lot of the uh, other kind of lesser classes, for lack of a better term. Uh, you know, we we get a, a another British Scout cruiser with the tier four, we get a Spanish light cruiser with the tier three. We get all of these different um, ships, which I'm happy that they're getting representation in the game. But it's, it's just kind of very interesting to see all, you know, you go through, it's like British, Italian ships, and then you go back to British ships, and then we, we go through the, the three Worcester-esque ships. I think they're going to be interesting to see. I think they're going to be interesting to play. Yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunity with uh, nations that have smaller navies. Um, oh, yeah. And their tech trees getting a bunch of mix and match and having a more variety that way. Yeah. I mean, already right off the bat, we're getting... It's not just... A, I mean, okay. At the beginning, I said, yeah, it's just a, uh, you know, a copy-paste Worcester. But we're getting torpedoes. We're getting triple mounts. Um, I th I'm confident that Wargaming will be doing things to make these ships different than the Worcester. But uh, it, it's very interesting to kind of get these representations. Exactly what you said. Dude, imagine... Be funny if they gave them like the 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 Jinan kind of thirteen and a half kilometer deep water torps on a fucking Worcester. Mm -hmm. That would just be terrible. Yeah, I don't think so. I think I think it mentions in the devlog, but I think the primary design point is on the F key. So it's the oh yeah, the the funny button. Yes. Yeah. That that was should, another. Should be, should be interesting to see where it gets done with that. Yeah, that's they, that's gonna be they interesting. Didn't say, I don't think I saw. They didn't say like what the funny button would do, right? Nope, it's still uh, going through the design process. I will say the most toxic, so to say, button is basically Condé because it has the massive AP threat, and with the line of light cruisers, you don't really have that. So that's kind of what I was thinking. I think that it'd be really funny if you know you find either a low health enemy or or something that just DCP'd, or you find a destroyer close to you. And then you just funny button it in a San Martin, San Martin, and just like bukake blast like a Shimakaze away. <laughs> I, th I, mean, I think that'd be interesting. My best guess is it would be similar to the Edgar's funny button, where you just get yeah. the burst fire on your turrets for two salvos, I believe. Either two or three salvos. I think, I think, I think it's three. 
But yeah, I, I think that'd be interesting. But I mean, obviously, this is all speculation. We have to wait until official documentation comes out to insinuate that what the funny button does. Now, going back to the history aspect of this, those triple mount 152s never existed, right? They were drawn up, and then the Navy remembered how much of a pain it was to get those systems working on the Des Moines, and they were like, mm, let's not do that again. Even the twin on the Worcester, like the twin turret on the Worcester was... It was a horrible. dog shit mount. Yeah. It, was, it, was, it was objectively terrible. Um, yeah, and that was, was interesting how... We had so much issues getting the twin 152 to work on the Worcester, and then we had a much more functional 203 triple on the Des Moines. It's, I mean, don't get me wrong, the the uh, auto-reloading system on the, on the Des Moines-class cruisers came out of came out and were eventually, arguably, the best gun platform ever put to sea. Um, I, it had the American fire control system, and it combined that with the American guns, which were arguably some of the best in the world. And there there were even uh, stories of them being able to track and engage jets with those guns, because if you don't know, those 8-inch guns were also could be slave to the anti-aircraft radars. So, you know, it, it'd be... they, they, they It was a very complex system. Yeah, and I've always it, thought it's a shame that Des Moines doesn't have dual-purpose guns in-game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Unfortunately, as uh, Gaishu said, the six-inch mount did not have this kind of plateau of, of happiness and, and peace and everything just because of how, I, if I remember correctly, and please correct me if I'm wrong, feel free to reach out and, and DM me. Um, it, if I remember correctly, it was just due to how quickly the mounts had to move and the elevations they had to load at. Um, because don't get me wrong, Des Moines could reload at any angle and at any position. Uh, the turret could be in any position and they could load it fine. But when you have a rapidly traversing six, six inch mount that I think one of the requirements was to load it or was to be able to be loaded at vertical, uh, yeah. it got a lot more complicated in terms of... That makes of, a lot of sense, I think, since I think they were probably designed primarily as anti-aircraft platforms. The yeah, she was meant to be like primarily part of the anti-aircraft suite, so as it makes a lot more sense that they would have more trouble getting that to work in a primarily anti-aircraft role where they have to track really quickly and elevate very very high. Yeah, the, the 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 idea of the post-war navy was okay. We have the Des Moines, which can eight inch into the ground anything that we come across, be that a ship, be that a land target, whatever. It's going to it's gonna fucking eat shit under a barrage of 8-inch shell fire. And the Worcesters were more orientated towards uh, air defense rather than naval engagements. Don't get me wrong, destroyers or anything showed up, any light ships, this thing would have a fucking field day on stuff like that. But the primary job of the 6-inch gun kind of morphed into throwing... Uh, 152 millimeter anti-aircraft shells up at incoming aircraft because at the end of the Second World War it was recognized, okay ships are still very, very dangerous but we can detect them easier they're a lot easier to respond to however, an aircraft coming in um, we might be able to detect it at 100, 120 miles but it's going to close that gap a lot quicker so that's the more pressing threat and you know, with it closing in quicker, that means it's going to be able to get its strike off quicker, and that means it's going to be able to get away quicker. So, 
and, and that even got worse with the advent of jets. So um, a lot of effort was put into increasing the engagement range of anti-aircraft systems. That's why we went from the 20 and the 40 up to the uh, American 3-inch, you know? Uh, it, it, it was it was range and, and, and burst charge that they needed more of because at the beginning of the war, yeah, you could splash a zero at two miles and yeah, that'd be great. You know, didn't get near you. Um, towards the end of the war, you have a lot quicker aircraft engaging you a lot, you know, at, at, at uh, higher altitudes, at, at dropping torpedoes from further distances than what you're used to. And hey, you know, Maybe a 20 millimeter hitting a, a late war aircraft wouldn't put it down, you know, stuff like that. So they wanted to be able to effectively engage aircraft and effectively neutralize aircraft. Because if a 20 won't put it down, a 76 millimeter round bursting right in front of the plane and turning everything in the plane, pilot included, into confetti would definitely put it down. Anyway, his, history rambling over, I'm sorry. Well, to tie it back to World of the Warships, one thing I was going to say is uh, something that's always been kind of haha funny, interesting to me about Des Moines is that so many of the tier 10s in this game um, are made up ships to get it, to have a ship that performs at the level that would be like necessary for a tier 10, like that would be such an advancement over the previous ships to make it to tier 10, if that makes sense. And then yeah. you just have Des Moines, which is like a real ship. Yeah, yeah I guess Wooster has very, I think it started out with, I mean, six seconds was about what it in reality and for a long time it actually had that reload yeah and now it has 5.5 which is a little bit better than it did but i mean all in all it's very very much what it would have been in real life which is yeah. very cool wooster uh, as well to some degree but i mean like you were saying it's it was more of an anti-aircraft role so you don't see that oppressive you know surface warfare capability on it that you do on des moines yeah but i mean yeah the, again deep Des Moines, something I always say when Des Moines are brought up or I'm playing a Des Moines is apply DPM directly to forehead because when it, when it comes to tier 10, there's nothing better. It's just bludgeoning something into the ground. I mean, so the, the other funny thing is like for the past maybe three or four COTS now, um, an overarching theme of when uh, we get cast on one of my teams, it's the, the casters seem to always make the comment of like, Oh, and they're they're running heavy Des Moines and making a comeback of a ship that's old you know, from 2017, 2016 or whatever. It's like, but it's still, it, in my opinion, it has the most applied DPM, or I guess effective DPM of any of the cruisers. Like, Smolensk has more DPM, but a Des Moines, to me, is more oppressive <laughs> if it's played correctly. I mean, there was one match we can circle back to COTS. I, I forget the, the exact match during the NA season, but um, I think it was KSM or KSE, what, what was it? Where they, they just crip-walked a Kremlin at you and Putin in smoke. And you guys just burned down the Kremlin yeah, that, before it could get you. I believe that was KSM. Um, um, but it was Chuck and Putin in the in the Des Moines. Oh, sorry. I was busy on the other side in a, in a Yu-Yang. Uh, yes. But regardless, even the Kremlin walking in, you know, which Kremlin is... Definitely no pushover ship. It's it's a big ship. It's a tough ship, but it's still just fucking melted. If anybody was wondering out there, um, do not try to break the turrets on a Kremlin with your AP in a Des Moines. Just shoot HE, please. <laughs> yep. Please, Putin. Please. Yes. Yep. It's good AP, but it's not that good. So another another interesting segue. Speaking of casting and cots, uh, 
since we have Gaishi here on the podcast, um, who has previously referred to Yu Yang as half of a ship, do you think that with the uh, TRB changes that Yu Yang is now a full ship? Yes, I think they might have actually, or we, I suppose, have actually made it into a ship with the additional torpedo reload booster. I, I'm actually so happy with how Yu Yang turned out. Yeah, I mean, I was a very big fan of the original Yu Yang. I think you probably weren't playing when it first got nerfed. Um, I was not. The, the three-second gun reload. Had, I think the torque reload is about to where it used to be, actually, but it had the same torque reload just about. So it was like a very good combination, gun and torque platform. Like a better gearing, essentially, which is why I got nerfed, I suppose. But for, for the longest time, it was just so miserable to play with that four-second reload and glacial torque reload. And I think it's finally gone back to a pretty good place now, where it's very torque-focused, but it's still quite good. I think my favorite part of it is just how versatile it can be. Like, you can build it for radar, you can build it for for smoke, you can build it to specifically play a smoke train DD with, like, the legendary mod where you get 11-second downtime between the smokes. Uh, you typically, I guess, would spec it for tours, but, I mean, you could, in theory, also spec it for guns if you're confident you're fighting something like a gearing instead of something with actual guns. Um, but it's just so many... It, it opens up so many options with what you can do from a strat standpoint with it. Of course, all of it goes away instantly once you allow Smolens in, but we'll ignore that for now. Mm. Good old Smolens. Actually, that that's actually another thing that I was going to ask you when we were talking about costs a little bit before. Um, with the introduction of press accounts, what's your opinion on allowing ships that were previously banned due to unavailability coming back? For example, Summers. Uh -huh. I personally would like to see it happen, just because I think there's a lot of interesting ships that have a place in competitive that cannot be played because of that rule. Um, some of them, like Smallland, I think are justifiably banned. But that's going to be my next question. Do you maintain the yeah. Smallland ban even if you allow unobtainable ships now that there's first I, I think I would just because it is so completely oppressive to every other destroyer that tries to play the normal spotting destroyer role. Um, or hard limit it to one, maybe, but still it would probably be a no-brainer thing. I would agree with you. I think, uh, just, if I think of, okay, I'm going to put a daring on this cap or whatever, uh, there's rarely something that I can't just replace one or two ships that would normally be playing a cap with a single small end. Yep. It, it just has so much utility. Like, the... Very, very impressive. The, the B cap on North that's typically played with a combination of something like a Minotaur Daring or Des Moines Daring, you, you just, you can replace yeah, that with a single small one. Small well, moving on here, I wanted to include a little bit of a history section. I don't want to keep you guys too long because it's almost 1 a.m. and I'm an old man and I need to sleep. So, I just wanted to do... Uh, my kind of weekly code question thing here, and then we can kind of wrap things up unless there was anything you guys wanted to talk about. I don't think I have anything too pressing in my mind. All right. Well, I'm going to keep it simple this week because I confused people last week with the wording because I only got two people who sent in um, the answer for codes. The answer was May 4th for the initial scrapping, or which was supposed to be the initial scrapping of HMS Belfast. That's when the Navy first decided 
that they didn't want to keep the ship, they didn't want to maintain it, and they didn't want to pay upkeep on it. So they decided to scrap it. A, tr a trust was form, uh, formed by civilians. They eventually saved the ship. The Imperial War Museum took it over. So May 4th was the answer I was looking for. This week it's going to be very, 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 very simple. And I'm just wanting to know how many Fletcher-class destroyers were made um, and launched. It's a very easy question. You can DM me. I will get you uh, your codes and stuff. But, yeah, please just do that. Answers a lot. Yep. A lot of flutters. Yes. I'm, I'm keeping it simple. I'm, I'm a benevolent god for this week. I want to give out as many codes as I can. I thought you were going a slightly different direction with that question. I thought you were going to ask how many Fletcher-class destroyers are in World of Warships. I mean, I could do that, but this is easier. Because there's, there's actually a lot of people who actually... I'm going to get on my horse for a second here. There's a lot of people who think the Velos isn't a Fletcher. What? Yep. No, no, you didn't mishear me. Why? It's literally a Fletcher. Uh, no, because it has four turrets. Therefore, it can't be a Fletcher, because Fletchers have five turrets. Oh, my goodness. Because, mm. you know, armaments have never been removed from ships ever before. That is impossible. Ugh. That, that upsets me. There's a few other ships kind of like that that people don't believe belong to the same subclass or belong I mean, to the same class of ships. I, I could I could see the argument, I guess, if it was like a paper ship, but no, there's an actual Velos, which was an actual Fletcher-class destroyer. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's just weird. I do a lot of diving on a military forms, and uh, I, I see that a lot. Uh, but those people are kind of the deranged people. Kind of like, I don't know if you guys are into armored history, but there's a, 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 a very small holdout of people who think that, like, the Tiger tank was the greatest thing ever made. And if you put a Michael Whitman in his prime, you could paste any modern tank in 1v1 glorious combat. And... What we call those people, I actually cannot report on the podcast, unfortunately. But uh, there's a lo there's a lot of people like that in the uh, naval community as well. It's very interesting. So there's a lot of adverse and, and uh, I mean, the Bismarck could definitely paste the Yamato in a one v one. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Don't you know Sabaton made a song about the Bismarck, and Sabaton didn't make a song about the Yamato. So one is clearly better than the other. Very true. I had that thrown at me during a debate, by the way. I, I just left the server. I, I don't know the answer to this, but I wonder whether the Yamato or the Bismarck spent more time at sea versus just docked. That is a good question. I want to say the Yamato just because it survived. It existed longer. A little bit longer. It existed longer. So I think that kind of solves that. It wasn't. I mean, you could say a, between the Turpits and the Yamato, maybe it might be more interesting. The Turpits only went out a few times. It didn't. It, it spent a lot of time cooped up in that fjord, just getting tallboyed into the ground. Yep. The 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 Yamato. Um, I don't think it was with the Pearl Harbor Strike Force. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but I, I know. I know it was out for Midway. I know. Um, and and this is just a, a rough kind of checking of the list. I know it was out for uh, the Philippines. I. Th I think I'm forgetting another campaign that it was out for. It, it sailed out a lot, and it did a lot of 
training missions for a capital ship. But the other thing is, is you got to remember putting a, a battleship to sea is not, you know, just the captain going on and, and turning a key and starting the engines. There's there's a, a lot of processes involved in getting a ship ready for sea. Uh, it's it's a lot easier on smaller ships, just simply due to the, you know, size and, and number of machines you need to bring online to effectively bring like a destroyer or something, you know. Yeah, Absolutely. even 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 turning on the engines on a destroyer can be a, a nine ten hour process back in the day. You had to that's start. always been just a sort of funny bit of naval history to me. It's just like all these countries built these enormous like capital ships and then didn't actually use them for much. They barely. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean there there's the there's a, a whole bunch of different uh, interesting kind of dreadnought esque races. Um, the, the, the Greeks and the Turks, I think it was, was it the Turks? Um, during the kind of realm of the first world war, the, they kept going back and forth during naval building campaigns and they'd be like, shit, all right, the ship's built. It's in port, but it's built and it's a threat. We have to build something to deal with it, but it's not going to leave port because that's too much fucking oil to burn. And we don't have the money to do that because we're Greece. You know, there, there's a lot of interesting stories like that. That's why, you know, when, whenever people are like, I, I it, it amazes me the, the level that the U.S. Navy achieved during the Second World War. And same thing with the Army and same thing with the Air Force. And that's why a lot of people are like, well, it's not that impressive. You just build more shit and then you have more shit. And a lot of people don't understand and, and appreciate the amount of, I call it back-end stuff that goes into a lot of uh, naval shipbuilding and, and putting a ship to sea, or putting anything to anywhere. But anyway, I'm grandstanding again, and I can hear Gaishu falling asleep. So I, yeah, there it is. So I am going to end it there. I'd like to thank you, Gaishu, for coming along and listening to uh, me ramble about history sp uh, sporadically. Optics. Thank you very, very much for uh, standing in for Griefer. I will be sure to take uh, his cut of this week's profits. I think we're making 13 cents off of ads this week. God bless. But I'm going to take it from him. And, uh, yeah, he should do be get, back next he, week. Do I get a percentage of that cut or, or no? God, no. I'm in college. You have a job. Yeah, I don't. I see. I need to buy ramen this week. Very respectable. Yep. Thanks for hey, you know what? Thirteen cents gets you a respectable bottle of ramen, like half of a Marichan packet, half of brick. <laughs> you to drive, of course. Oh yeah, I have to. You know, I'm I'm a classy barbarian. Um, I, I actually eat it hard out on my yard couch um, that I have with my dogs. But yeah. Um, if you were in Texas like us, being outside in the yard couch with a pack of ramen, it would actually the humidity would would soften it up quite a bit yeah but i'm also irish and and from new england so i'd instantly just keel over and die from heat stroke or i'd sunburn myself so bad that you'd have to take me out back and pressure wash off like two layers of skin so texas is evil i'm not going there <laughs> that's been interesting if i want to go to a hot place in the south to die i just go to florida because that's just where everybody goes to die it's, it's it's interesting. That's where my grandparents went. It's great. You should, uh, you should hit them up with that as like their future slogan. Where Florida, where everyone goes <laughs> where to people die. People come to die. It's literally it's literally where New Englanders go to die. 
the the amount of snowbirds that just leave the New England winter and uh, head down to Florida for four or five months. It's it's always very funny. You know, it's the same story. Like people like the New England weather, but as soon as you have to actually shovel snow and you're getting a little bit older, it's uh, pretty shitty. It was it was pretty funny because my my grandparents used to live actually close to the border with Rhode Island, um, down in a town called Blackstone, and they they lived there. And they waited until I turned like three. And then they're like, bye, we're selling everything and we're going to Florida. My parents are like, what? And they're like, yep, bye. We're not dealing with the winners anymore. And because, you know, my grandfather and my grandmother were just sick and tired of shoveling all the shit. And they didn't have kids around to do it no more. So they just left. And they went down. And hey, now I have a nice house in Florida to, to go to. I can fish. I can hunt. I can chill out in the pool. It's nice. Anyway, I've rambled on for long enough. I'm fucking stupid and I don't know how to end podcasts. Have a nice night.